We'll be reading from Psalm 122, the first four verses. Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Every time we come to worship, we ought to have in our minds the idea that as we gather to worship God, we are bringing gifts and offerings to Him. That's exactly what the New Testament tells us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the Bible says, let us continually offer sacrifices to God, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And maybe one helpful way to think of this is, as you come to worship, you are to have a box or a bucket, an imaginary box, and you're bringing offerings to God in that box. You're bringing your gifts to Him. And the gifts we bring are not bulls and goats and lambs and things like that, like they did in the Old Testament. The things we're bringing Him are our obedience, our, our desire to praise him, to open our mouths and sing the songs, to think about the words as someone leads us in prayer, to obey, to listen to and say, God, whatever your word is saying to me, that's what I want to be and that's what I want to do. We're bringing those gifts and those offerings and we're saying, God, here, here is what I'm offering you. When we come to worship, we're bringing offerings to God. And as I was a young man growing up and oftentimes we would get ready, we, we were the kind of family growing up that we were always at worship services. Every time the doors of the church building were opened. By the way, I count that as one of the great blessings of my young life. The fact that we didn't have to wonder when I was young, were we going to be at church services on Sunday night or Wednesday night? Where we're going to be there on Sunday morning. It was a blessing. It was just assumed this was where we were going. This was what we were going to be. But oftentimes, you kind of get this attitude of, well, we have to go to church. We have to gather and, and, and assemble with the saints. And we use that phrase, have to. When you read the Bible, the Bible has a much different perspective. The Bible has a get to kind of perspective. We are privileged to come into the very presence of Almighty God and to offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And we need to think about our worship that way. The psalmist said in Psalm 122 verse 1, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This was what I was looking forward to, the psalmist is saying. This is what I was hoping for. I was glad when the moment finally came and they said, let's go up to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord. This is the Old Testament. When they went to the temple and the house of the Lord was literally a building, I was glad to get to go. Is that how you and I feel when it comes to the worship of Almighty God? It's something to be pondered and considered because oftentimes if you read Psalms, you'll find expressions like these. In Psalm 37 verse four, the psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37 verse four may be the actual key verse of the entire book of Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Or how about this? Psalm 40 and verse eight. I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is in my heart. It's not just that we obey, that we worship in spirit and in truth. It's not just the fact that we have worship according to scripture in a way that God has ordained and designed for us. It's the spirit, it's the character, it's the manner in which we bring our offerings to him that also makes a difference. Just think with me for a few moments this evening about that expression on the screen behind me. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And let's make these observations first. There is a call. There's a call. Let us go. Let's go and worship God together. And there are some very good reasons why you and I ought to worship God. Allow me to share some. Worship for human beings is natural and it is necessary. Everybody worships something. Everybody. Even atheists worship something. They may worship themselves. They may worship their family. They may worship their material goods. But somehow, some way, their time and their energy and their effort and their desires are spent on something or someone. Everybody. Because God designed us for worship. He designed us to seek out that which is better than ourselves and to honor that and to praise that. And God is the ultimate object of worship. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Matthew chapter four, verse 10. We talked about that this morning in our study. Jesus was adamant that no one else and nothing else is worthy of our worship except for God alone. Many others will settle for much less. It's natural though, and it's necessary. We're going to worship someone, something. Secondly, as you think about why we ought to worship, worship of God is uplifting. Did you know that we become like what we worship? Whatever we invest in, whatever we give our time and our energy and our attention to, whatever it is that consumes our thoughts, we're going to become like that. If money is your God, you're going to be cold and heartless in your relationships with people. If people are your God, you're going to be bitterly disappointed when they let you down because people disappoint us. We live in a sinful world. But whatever we worship, whatever we idolize, whatever we look up to, that is what we are going to become like. How wonderful it is then to spend time thinking about the manner and the nature of the God that we serve. 
God is the ultimate reality. He is the ultimate greatness. Everything about God is wonderful and majestic and mighty. And best of all, God is love. First John chapter four, verse eight. When we worship him and we sing his praises and we bring our buckets, our boxes full of offerings to him, we become like what we worship. It's uplifting. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, the Bible says we're beholding him and we're being changed from glory to glory as we behold his glory, as we think about and focus on who he is, it raises us, it dignifies us. A reason to worship. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Worship reminds us of our values. It is so easy to get mixed up. It's so easy for the narratives and the talking heads of the day to start to consume our thoughts. And when we come to worship and we gather with the people of God and we offer our praise to him, it reminds us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 verse one. And I might challenge you with this this week. Read Hebrews chapter 11 and look at how many times that phrase, unseen things, the things not seen is found in that chapter. As we live in this world, our hope, our faith, our convictions lie in things that we can't yet see. God has made promises to us, but we've not yet seen the realization, the fulfillment of all those things, but we're hoping for those things because we know that God is faithful and he's merciful and he's going to fulfill his promises. Worship reminds us of things like, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Worship reminds us to yield not to temptation. Worship reminds us that we have a great king and he is the one that is worthy of all our loyalty. Worship reminds us of those things, our values. Why should I worship? Because worship rebukes the evil in my life. We're reminded when we come into the presence of a holy God, when we come before him, that's what the psalmist asked in Psalm 42, verses one and two. He said, as the deer pants before the, uh, for the water, so my soul longs after you. And then he said in Psalm 42, verse two, when shall I come and appear before God? And the psalmist was thinking about his life and he was thinking about the things that, that God meant to him. And oftentimes as we come into the presence of God, we're reminded that there are things that we need to hear and that we need to change, that we need to repent of. The sermons that you read in the book of Acts, the sermons that you read in the rest of the Bible, those sermons were designed to change people to the glory of God. They were designed to convict people of sin, to rebuke the evil in their lives. Those sermons were designed by God so that people would hear the truth and obey it. And when we gather for worship, one of the effects in our lives is that it rebukes the evil and the things that we're doing and practicing that we know are wrong. There are some wonderful, tremendous benefits of worship. Let's go, a call. Secondly, tonight, as you think about Psalm 122 verse one, I was glad when they said to me, let's go a place, the house of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when you look at Psalm 122 verse one, even the rest of the Psalm bears out the fact that this referred to the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon had built a building in the city of Jerusalem that was known as the temple. It was the dwelling place of the Almighty and it was called repeatedly the house of the Lord. 
Now, even Solomon, if you read 1 Kings chapter 6 through 8, even Solomon, who'd built that mighty building, beautiful, gold, cedar, just a beautiful building. Even Solomon said, we know that the Almighty does not dwell and cannot be confined in a house made with hands. Paul said much the same thing in Acts chapter 17. God can't be confined to just a building, but there was something significant about that building because that building was constructed according to God's blueprint. That building was constructed according to God's will. And that building was significant because the people of Israel could look to Jerusalem and look to that temple and they knew that God was among them. They knew that God was their God. He dwelt among them. And when the high priest went to make atonement for sins, he went into the temple because that's where God was viewed as having dwelt. That's where he, that's where he was. And when people came to worship God, they would come to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they would bring their sacrifices, their offerings, and they would offer those, those animals and, and, and the first fruits of their harvest. They would offer those things to God. And so the psalmist is saying, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. What about you and me? We don't live under Old Testament times. Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. It's been nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. If that's true, if the Old Testament has been taken away so that a new covenant could be brought in, Romans 7, verses 1 through 4, then what about us? Should we go to Jerusalem? Should we find a temple in order to praise and to worship God? Here's what's really neat about the New Testament. In the New Testament, the house of the Lord is no longer a physical building. In the New Testament, the house of the Lord refers to the church. Take your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verses 20 through 22. Just very briefly, Ephesians 2 verses 20 through 22 and see if what I'm saying is true. The writer of Ephesians in talking to Christians in the first century was wanting them to understand what they had become in Jesus Christ. And he says in Ephesians 2 verse 20, you church have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. What's he saying there? That when you become a Christian, you become a brick in the temple. You become a brick that is being added to and built up. It's the dwelling place of God. And one of the reasons why we ought to take seriously the command to assemble with the church is because the church is the temple, the house of the Lord. When I was a kid, I've said this before, when I was a kid, we used to do in Bible class, you know, the, the little hand thing, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the doors and where's all the people, um, you know, and understand you're teaching young kids that, but biblically, biblically, the church is the people. And biblically, the people are the temple. In the New Testament way of thinking, when we gather together as a church, as an assembly, when we gather together, we are the dwelling place of God. And that's a powerful and a significant truth. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Now you might say, well, Brother John, Brother John, I've read 1 Corinthians 6 verses 18 through 20 where it says, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If I'm a Christian, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. And brothers and sisters and friends, we can worship God in private places. James chapter four, verse eight tells us that we are to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Every single one of us ought to invest time in prayer, in study of God's word privately, in thinking about what I'm going to bring to God today and praising God and maybe singing songs. One of the best things that you could ever do is turn off talk radio or turn off your favorite rock music, whatever you listen to, country music, turn that off and spend time as you're driving down the road singing in the car. You can draw into the very presence of God because you are the dwelling place of God. So we can worship God privately, but there's also a very significant aspect of worship. We draw near to him in public. When we gather together with the the faithful of God, when we gather together with people who love the Lord and who are concerned about bringing sacrifices and gifts to him, there is a gladness that ought to characterize that activity. We draw near to him in public worship. Maybe one of the things we ought to think about more as we walk in the doors, I know that fellowship is important, it's one of the reasons why we gather, but maybe it's a time to stop and to consider for all of us, a time to stop and consider, we're coming into the very presence of the almighty king of the universe. We are the temple, the dwelling place of God. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's gather with the people of God and bring praises and worship to him. Psalm 122 verse one also, also gives us an attitude. I was glad. What makes you glad? I mean, think about it. What really makes you glad? When your favorite team wins the big game, when you find a great deal at Black Friday, what makes you glad? When your grandkids come or when your grandkids leave, what makes you glad? I know, I I understand how it is. What really makes you glad? What makes your heart skip a beat? What makes you really joyful? Here's a man in the Bible that says, what makes me glad is the privilege and the opportunity of going to the house of the Lord. That's what makes me glad. Consider some reasons why he would rejoice in such a thing. When we gather for worship, brothers and sisters, we come into the very presence of God himself. Psalm 100 verses three and four says that we are the sheep of his pasture. He is the shepherd and we are his sheep. And then it says, enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Come before his presence with praise. Think about that. When we worship, we are coming into the very presence of God himself. Another place, Psalms are just full of these joyful verses, these happy verses, these glad verses. There's a lot of sorrow and sadness and frustration in Psalms as well, but pay attention to those happy verses. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in your presence is the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When I come before God, there is joy and there is goodness and there is grace to be found in who he is. And thinking about what he's all about, what he's like. My focus and my praise are on him and on what he's done in Christ. Why would I be glad? Because there's nothing better than God. 
There's no one greater than God. And there's no object that even begins to start to compare to the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of God. He is the greatest conceivable person. And we get to come into his presence. He invites us there. I was glad. A second reason why the psalmist would say I was glad because he could rejoice in the works of God. You see, I've been fascinated by this over the years. A lot of our songs in our songbooks, they kind of alternate and it's very biblical. When you see reasons for praise in scripture, it kind of falls into a couple of broad categories. Reasons to praise God. There is the nature and the attributes of God. We praise God because of who he is and what he's like and what he's all about. And then there's a second category. We praise God because of his works. What he has done, what he is doing, and what he's promised to do in the future. The works of God. And it's interesting, pay attention to the songs we sing. It's interesting how many of our songs talk about, come let us all unite to sing, God is love. We're talking about the nature of God, the attributes of God, God is love. But then we also have songs that deal with the works of God. To God be the glory, great things he has done, right? Why would I be glad? Because I'm not only thinking about who God is, but I also get to think about who and what God has done and he is doing and will do. Psalm 145 verse four says, one generation shall praise your works to another. They shall declare your goodness, your mighty works. That's what we do when we worship. We talk about the works of God as well as the person of God. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. When we go to the house of the Lord, we are identifying ourselves with the flock of God. We are saying with our lives and with our bodies and with our spirits, we're saying, I am part of the flock that belongs to Jesus Christ. I am part of the group that is committed to serving him and following him. That's what our attendance and our presence is saying. It's saying that not only to God, it's saying that to others as well. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it's a message to elders, but think about what it says. Elders are given the responsibility to shepherd the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. We are identifying ourselves. I'm part of that flock. I'm glad to be part of that flock. I'm glad to be part of that group. My attendance, my presence demonstrates that. When we worship, When we come before God with praise and thanksgiving and gifts, not only is God honored, not only is he glorified, not only do people hear him being lifted up, but you and I grow. There's a growing aspect to worship. Faith, hope, and love. If you wanted to sum up the Christian life, if you wanted to sum up the strength of a church or weakness of a congregation, those are the three words to key in on because those are Bible words. Faith, hope, and love. And when we worship in spirit and in truth, when we bring genuine gifts of sacrifice and praise to God, and when we do that in a spirit of gladness, I was glad when they said to me, let's go, let's worship. We'll grow in faith and we'll grow in hope and we'll grow in our love for God and for our fellow man. Worship is ennobling. It dignifies people. 
it's a wonderful gift that God has given. God could have said, you're sinful, I can't have any part of you, and I certainly don't want to hear your praises, and I certainly don't want to hear your songs. He could have said all those things, but instead, in his love and his mercy, he invites us, sinful and wicked though we have been, he invites us to come and to receive the cleansing that his son Jesus offers and to worship. We'll never be closer to heaven in this world than when we're worshiping God. When we're coming intentionally into his presence, we will never be more close to heaven than when we're doing that. Let's think about our attitudes. Let's think about our spirits as we gather to worship. If we can help you tonight to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ by putting him on in baptism, you become a Christian, part of that flock that we spoke about just now. If you would like to do that this evening or if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours right now. Why don't you make your way down the aisle while we stand and while we sing.